I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to my course number 454, Receptive Language Milestones by 24 Months, brought to you by my website, Teach Me to Talk, where we're the largest ASHA-approved continuing education provider online for therapists who need courses in early intervention. In this course, we're going to be looking at, as I said, receptive language milestones by 24 months. And so we are covering loads of information today. This is part of our Language Milestones podcast series, and this is actually number five in a series of 14 shows. So if you've missed our previous shows, I invite you to go back and watch those shows or take those courses as well because every single milestone that we're going to talk about in this 18 to 24 month period we actually started talking about back in 12 to 18 months and even before then in that first show with by 12 months and that's how milestones work they're really really sequential and that's why it's so important for us as therapists to really understand the process of normal language acquisition because when we use the developmental approach as we're going to be talking about today uh, we have to know and understand the milestones because that lets us really again work on the foundational pieces for language and that's what we're going to be talking about throughout this show and throughout this series. Now for therapists, I'm including the link here below if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening uh, to the podcast, you can go to my website at teachmetotalk.com and look for the information for show 454. And you can also purchase this again if you're uh, watching here on YouTube, you can purchase that at the link below. This course is part of our $5 CEU program and if you have not participated in that uh, as a therapist, I would so invite you to do that. We want to be your sole provider for continuing education courses and so again I invite you to do that if you have not already subscribed to our YouTube channel I'd also uh, invite you to do that uh, that really really helps us out and we are so so grateful for uh, all your support okay and one more thing parents purchasing the handout for this course is uh, a great way for you to be able to have this information at your fingertips so that you always understand what we've talked about in this show and then you have the notes here as a reminder to keep you on track and, and and to share with the therapists who are on your team. And so again, if you can afford to do that, that's a great way to support our work and it certainly helps us continue to provide these courses for parents who can't. All right, so for parents who are tuning in just to see uh, how your child is doing with receptive language by 24 months, let's go ahead and review this list of milestones. And again, you can follow along on your handout. So let's take a look at these. The first skill we want children to meet by 24 months with receptive language is to understand familiar simple commands such as come here and sit down. The second uh, milestone here is chooses familiar objects from a group of at least five items on request. So chooses objects when there's a big set there. The next skill is understanding familiar action words. And so that's like uh, when a child demonstrates that he understands what words like go and stop and push and open, uh, eat, drink, all those really common action words that he or she should be hearing just in everyday routines in language. Do they understand those words uh, by this developmental age? The next one is 
identifies familiar pictures. And so that's where a child can point to something on request. So that when you say something like, show me the bear or find the shoes, or even uh, again, if you are just sitting doing pictures with him in a story, just uh, finding the main character over and over and over again. So uh, that's what identifies familiar pictures looks like uh, for a child in this developmental range. The next skill is follows novel commands. And so this would be new commands versus we talked about in the previous developmental period where children were following simple familiar commands related to their everyday routines. This one is a step up. They're following more and more new commands, meaning that they don't have to have practiced something or done something over and over and over for them to understand what it means. You can start to give some directions that are new to them or novel and they get it. They start to follow those. So that's a really, really important milestone here in this period. The next skill is follows two-step related commands, meaning something like whatever the object is and then whatever you expect a child to do with the object. So it could even be something simple like, uh, you know, get your cup and give it to me, or get your cup and put it in the sink, or uh, get your shoes and sit down. Something that they would expect to do, or get the car and push it, or get the stick and beat the drum. Those kind of related things. We want children to be able to hold two pieces of important information in their little minds and then complete that task that, again, we talked about in the previous period, 12 to 18 months, we wanted them doing following one-step familiar commands, like we said, in everyday routines and certainly in play routines. But here we bumped it up to that next uh, expectation with the development of their receptive language skills. The next one is closely related to those first or to those last two that we've just talked about, following novel commands and following two-step related commands. And this next one is the natural extension. It understands new words rapidly. And so to be able to follow new commands and more complex directions, that's certainly something that we would see developing right alongside those skills. So they begin to understand new words without uh, the direct teaching or maybe without hearing as many repetitions in the past as it took them to understand a new word. And we'll talk about that as we go throughout the show today. And then the last skill that we'll be looking at or the last milestone here in this period is relate a related cognitive skill. And remember in our last shows, we talked about how closely a child's cognitive development, meaning his mental skills, how he thinks, how he learns, how he plans, how he remembers, how closely those cognitive skills are in relationship to receptive language. And remember we said that you can't really separate those. Dr. Rosetti talked about this a lot in his work, that you can't really separate cognition and receptive language when a child is under three. And so we always want to see these related skills cognitively, and we've said in the past shows in this series that the best way to measure that is what? It's through play. So how is a child learning? We look at his play and we see those actions and activities becoming more and more complex and more and more mature. And so here, the related cognitive skill that we really want to see develop is imitates housework activities. Now we've talked a lot about imitation in this, this series and in practically every other course I teach because it's such an integral part of early language development. And until a child learns how to imitate <clears throat> non-verbally, he's not going to be able to imitate verbally. And so again, that's why these skills are related. And that's why here in this period, we want to see 
evidence that a child is taking in all the information that he's processing from his environment. And here we're relating it to parental daily activities. And he's starting to look at what does mom do? What does dad do? How can I do that? How can I copy that? And it's such an important predictive skill. And I'll tell you why as we proceed. All right, so that's our list of milestones that we're going to be discussing today. Now, if you're wondering about the references for this list, I talked about that a lot back in the first two shows in this series, 450 and 451. So go back and take a look at that if you want that information. All right, so for parents and other professionals who are joining us for this course, in addition to speech-language pathologist, let's quickly review receptive language versus expressive language in case we have some friends who are joining us kind of mid-series here. Receptive language means what? It means what a child understands or the language that he receives. We also refer to receptive language as auditory comprehension skills. So meaning, how does he hear and how does he understand and follow through with the conversations that are occurring around him, with the directions that he's receiving, all those little ways that a child could demonstrate that he understands, again, more and more and more language. Receptive language is extremely important to the overall uh, skill development in communication, and sometimes it's so overlooked. As parents, we can get so hyper-focused on what a child says that we don't really stop to think about what comes before that, and that's receptive language, because children always have to understand words before they can begin to use those words to communicate. And again, you've heard me say that over and over and over. I probably use that line in every course I teach because, and if you are, if you've, uh, if your child were on my caseload, you would hear that every time you saw me too, because that's such an important, uh, fact for us as early intervention professionals and as parents who work with toddlers with language delays to always keep in mind, we always have to, to really understand that that receptive language piece comes first. And so here we're going to talk about in this developmental period that's just fantastic and wonderful because we finally get to what we refer to as a language explosion. That explosion has to happen receptively before it can happen expressively. And one more really, really important thing about receptive language. Anytime a child doesn't understand language as well as he or she should for their age or for whatever developmental level that that's that next little rung up, they're never going to meet those expressive language milestones either. And so we have to always be cognizant of that and always think about, again, how important receptive language should also be uh, when we're focusing on late talking with toddlers. Because again, until children are mastering concepts receptively, we're not going to expect to see those uh, skills demonstrated expressively. So we always have to let receptive language drive our treatment plans, even when expressive language is our ultimate outcome here. All right, so I already told you how much I love working with children here in this developmental range. <clears throat> Pardon me. And it's a really common kind of when we start looking at these milestones, these milestones really, really, really do like the, uh, look just like the early goal list that we have when we start seeing our little late talking friends. So again, just because a child isn't chronologically in this age range, if you're a parent, you might be thinking, oh, he's three, uh, he's, he's four, and he's still struggling with language, and he still doesn't have any words, but she's talking about kids at the 18 to 24 month range. Please keep in mind that we're really looking at developmental 
age here, not just chronological age. And so for kids with language delays and disorders, this period's going to come later. So this is what happens just after children and just when children start to really use single words frequently. And so just because you're hearing me say these age ranges, sometimes for parents, it's they think either, oh, that's not going to apply to my child because he or she is so much older. No, we're looking back here at that developmental language age there. And sometimes uh, parents would think, too, they get a little upset or their feelings are a little hurt when they think, oh, no, uh, when they're realizing the significance of the delay. And we never want to use age ranges to uh, hurt a parent who's in that tender, just vulnerable vulnerable position, but at the same time, we want to help parents understand where their child falls on this spectrum of language development so they understand what strategies and what skills they should be using and what skills we should be working on in that range. So this list is a fantastic goal list. If you're a mom or a dad working with your child at home and he or she is at this single word level or you, you want them to be at that single word level, they're imitating some, but they're not using a lot of spontaneous words. This show is for you. And these are the skills that you'll be working on. And certainly therapists, these are the skills that we're teaching. Uh, parents to work on with the children uh, on our caseloads. All right, so when we use milestones to determine our treatment plan, remember what I said about that already? What did we say that is? That's a developmental approach. And so I just always kind of want to keep that in mind as we are walking through these shows. I try to keep all of our information really, really functional and practical, but this is kind of a theoretical thing for us to think about. When we're looking at a developmental approach, we don't expect a child, even though a goal, the goal might be up here for a child to be able to use phrases, which we'll start to get into uh, expressively when we when we do the counterpart for this show. Uh, but we have to, again, we have to think about all the things that come between there. And that's the key to using a developmental approach. We're never really working at that long-term goal. We're hacking away at it by making sure that our short-term goals are really, really, really appropriate. And when we do that, we know that we are making just the maximizing our efforts here and certainly focusing all our intentionality on these are the skills that we're going to be working on in this first little rung of language development. So let's begin with our first milestone here, and it is a big one. <laughs> We've already talked about it when we were doing our initial review of the skills that we'll be covering, but it's understanding familiar simple commands. And here, I'm listing it just like the Rossetti does, and again, I keep referring to that, but that's Dr. Lewis Rossetti and his test, the Infant-Toddler Language Scale, and it's a really widely used test among early interventionists, particularly speech-language pathologists. And he specifies here and gives an example. So like, come here and sit down. So here, back in the previous period, we talked about a child understanding and following directions during play. So what would that mean? That would mean when there's context, when a child can see exactly what's going on. And we also talked about that in super familiar routine activities like dressing that a child would understand if you said to her, oh, put your foot in. You know, when, if you're trying to put her, your, her sock on, you would say, you know, oh, get your foot in there, put your foot in. And she would know what you're talking about because you say the same things to her over and over and over again. And again, that would be in established play routines with toys as well as those everyday familiar routines like dressing, taking a about eating all again all those activities of daily living so here we're bumping it up a little bit a child doesn't have as much context 
But we're saying again, and again, this why this is why a developmental approach it works so wonderfully when we're working with toddlers with language delays because we're not looking for that that overall big goal that's going to come six months or a year later we're looking at what's that next little thing so the next little thing here receptively is understands really familiar simple commands and again without all the context in that you it's not necessarily tied to a particular daily routine or a play routine so uh, how do we work on this? And again, these are really practical commands. The first thing that you want to do is make sure that parents are saying those. <laughs> and the second thing that you want to do is make sure that they are giving the same kinds of things that worked so well back in the previous developmental period when we were talking about all the context that babies use to help them understand. You know, if mom says, give it to me, and she's holding it out her hand, a baby has more of a clue of what mom wants because he's got that visual cue there. So here, we need to really talk to parents about still making sure that they are including sufficient uh, visual cues to accompany those verbal directions. So when a mom is saying, come here, what should she be doing? <laughs> Using her gestures so that a child knows what she means. If she's saying, you know, sit down or right here, you know, she's patting right beside her. And again, giving that little context so that a child understands that. The purpose here, though, too, is so that a child doesn't, uh, here, here we're also looking at this when we're, we're measuring it, is that a child doesn't need as many of those visual cues, that he is starting to understand lots of these things just from that auditory component alone. But again, I want to be sure that I'm talking about how we get a child there if uh, he or she has not acquired this skill more naturally. So we want to make sure that we are uh, helping a child even work on these really simple direct commands in therapy because it can just be game-changing for parents at home when a child does finally begin to understand. And this is lots of times what we see with parents too who sort of kind of hang on to that talking piece with children who again don't don't just have acceptive expressive language issues kids who also have receptive language problems sometimes when parents kind of hang on to that expressive piece and they don't really understand the receptive thing when you start to demonstrate to them yes your child understands more yes he's following more directions aren't you seeing this at home and they begin to put that together again that's what really helps them understand what's really going on with their child that the reason he or she is not talking as well as he or she should be is because they're not understanding as well as they should be and so when we help a parent make that connection then uh, again it just becomes a really uh, we just speed it up everything gets expedited because then parents know then oh boy I better be working on this receptive language piece to make sure that we're driving that expressive language development. So we want to always assign these kinds of directions or commands as homework for parents. And again, be super specific about it. Don't just say, we want your child to follow directions. You're going to need to say, hey, and here's some examples. At mealtimes, let's work on this. At bath time, let's work on this. And we as early intervention professionals who've worked in state birth to three programs understand this so well because we're writing those IFSPs with a, just a, a sole focus on how a child performs his or her everyday routines at home. But if you're not practicing in a setting like that, you might need to think about that and think about how specific you need to be with parents with really, really measurable, objective, real-life commands that you can write for them and so they can practice those, uh, again, all week long. Now, we want to talk about, uh, we talked about this back in show 452 for um 
what it means when a child isn't following these everyday routines by 18 months. And I just want to reiterate it here. And again, this is not to sock a parent in the stomach and uh, make them really kind of understand and hurt, again, be very, very hurtful emotionally. It's just to say, there is a problem with the receptive language when a child is not following uh, these everyday kinds of routines and or directions in these everyday kinds of routines by 24 months. And we talked about it, it was true at 18 months. So it's certainly true by 24 months. So when we have a child who's not following these directions, uh, as we're talking about here, these kinds of simple everyday routines, we know this is not just late talking. There's a receptive language component as well. And it's really important that we help parents understand that. Uh, and again, help them prioritize receptive language just as much or just as often as they want to think about or work on their child talking. Uh, so let's be sure that we are uh, emphasizing that in our parent training programs. All right, I didn't list the skill again here on the 24-month uh, skills that we're reviewing in today's course, but by 24 months, we still want children identifying more and more body parts. And remember we said back by 18 months, we wanted them to be able to identify at least six body parts or clothing items on themselves or a doll. And so here by 24 months, that expectation is still there. So just keep going. And I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, beating a dead horse here, but we've got to keep these, these skills that we've worked on in these previous developmental periods. We always need to be thinking, what's the next level? How can we bump it up? How can we make this just a little bit more mature so that we are always, again, driving that receptive language piece so that we get to that expressive language piece. And so back in shows 450 and 452, I shared some really specific songs and games that you could play to teach body parts. And so we just want to keep that going. Here, I like to really think about uh, little imitative games. And so if you have a child that's at this developmental level, it's really fun to kind of, you know, all of you sit in a circle and say, oh, let's all pat our bellies. Let's pat our bellies. Everybody pat your belly. Yay. Okay. Now let's all pat our heads. Here we go. Pat your head. Pat your head. Pat your head. All right. And so you're using these little imitative games to also focus on those receptive language body parts. So a great way to do it if you're, if you're uh, working with a group of children, like in a daycare setting or a preschool, that's a fun little game to play. And it's a great way to include your little friend with other typically developing friends and you're still doing a developmentally appropriate activity and you're all working on the same thing. So great, great little game there. Families might play that uh, at mealtime. And again, older siblings love to join in when they're teaching the baby how to talk. So that's a great little game that I like to share with families. Remember that we have to emphasize repetition. And when we're talking about body parts here, we want children identifying those on themselves, on a parent, and again, on a character or a toy or something like that. Another thing to really help receptive language here uh, like we talked about with the previous milestone and in all the other milestones that we'll talk about today is how uh, frequently we should be checking on their receptive language uh, skills here so that we can really encourage frequent responding. So many of our little friends who have speech and language delays just become habitual non-responders. And by that I mean what? They constantly are in the habit of not answering, not 
moving, not doing anything to let you know that they are following along or that they can respond, even if it's not with a word. And so we do want to help our little friends who are kind of in that passive communicator role to learn to, again, consistently respond to us. Because until they can consistently respond, they'll never really consistently initiate. And so we want to help kids get over that hump. And so the, re- the way that we do that is with frequent checks. So frequently working receptive language checks into everyday routines. So asking during diaper changes, oh, show me your belly. Oh, oh, where's your hair? Oh, oh, I'm going to get your toes. You better hide those toes. And again, making that just part of an everyday routine so that parents are helping them work on those things uh, as at, throughout the day as they move uh, from one part of their day to the next. All right, let's move on and talk about the next skill. This one is chooses familiar objects from a group of five on request. Quest. So what are we doing here? We are bumping up that expectation that we had back in the 12 to 18 month developmental level. Now we want you to identify familiar objects when there are lots of other things around to compete with your attention and to um, really here we are validating that a child is really understanding uh, what labels for uh, particular items and objects are. And so this skill is so easily addressed in play and in everyday routines because we often are sitting with a child and playing with lots of different things and we can just start to say, where's the baby? Show me the brush. Find the baby's hair. Oh, let's get the baby's shoes. You know, those kinds of things can be easily worked into our play routines. And so when we have a child who can't do that right away, I want to walk you through some really practical ways to help him begin to identify objects from a larger set so that when it's harder and more like everyday life. So I always start off with this just by whenever we're playing in uh, just a, a regular kind of play routine, Let's say that we have a racetrack, two or three racetracks, or two or three cars and a racetrack, one racetrack. What would you do there? You would say, where's the car? So that you are asking a child to identify the one salient or the one most important object in that routine. So that if you are playing bubbles with them, you say, where's the bubble? You know, if whatever you're doing, you're asking for them to identify Whatever kind of the main thing is, that main label there. And get parents in the habit of doing this too with daily routines. So that at mealtimes, they're saying, where's your spoon? Show me your spoon. Or uh, uh, where's your cup? Find your cup. Find the cup. And so that a toddler is reaching over and grabbing his cup and holding it up to mom. Or looking at it. Or pointing at it. Or in some way demonstrating that he understands that he's identifying that object. So that's the number one uh, homework assignment for parents with toddlers with language delays really is object identification. Getting them in the habit, getting the parents in the habit of asking the child to show them where something is. Find the, where's the, point to, get the, give me the. And again, always that, that goal of object identification. And this is particularly true if a child is not following directions yet. And again, we've talked about the importance of directions in everyday routines and those familiar activities like getting dressed, where we're saying, 
put your arm in your shirt or uh, uh, you know pull you know, for pulling their taking their clothes off you know pull pull so that they're getting those directions but again this object identification point and skill is just crucial and it's just critical and this ensures that a child is continually learning labels uh, for new objects and that's for vocabulary expansion so don't get so lost in teaching all of these other milestones that we forget that a, the primary kinds of words that a toddler says in this period would be what nouns meaning that we want him to understand lots and lots of nouns too so how else can we work on this in therapy i told you before that we would start just when we're working uh, within one little play routine with the child we're going to ask them to show you the most uh important object or the key object or character or characters or objects within that play routine now we're just going to bump it up a little bit so let me give you an example let's say that you were playing potato heads with a child so you were getting ready you know you're putting all the parts in you're labeling the parts as you do it one other thing that you might do to work on this kind of skill is just when the pieces are there randomly on the floor you're getting ready to <clears throat> again assemble the potato head you need to ask things like find the shoes give me the hat and again some parents uh, get into the habit of just we're following a child's lead so much that they're just saying which one do you want next or what should we do next instead of really taking this opportunity to uh, intentionally work on receptive language so that's something that we as therapists can point out to parents and say you know we can still follow a child's lead and we're still wanting to keep them with us and we don't want to be dictatorial when we're playing with this but <laughs> we do want to give some direction so that we are making sure that we are focusing on receptive language here and so you just talk about like with an activity like potato heads uh, really focusing on uh, having them pick out which one that you're saying so you know oh next let's get her eyes find her eyes let's put her eyes in and again you want a child reaching down and getting the eyes sometimes parents will say well if he gets it wrong do i still let him put it on yeah you go ahead and say oh my goodness those are ears you want to put the ears on go ahead let's put the ears on you get the ears and so again then you switch your game and you talk about what he's doing but then you bring it right back to oh this time let's find the eyes show me the eyes so what do you do if a kid can't do it with uh still you've broken it down to that little set then make it super super specific then i hold up one item in each hand and i might have the eyes in one hand and say the potato head hat in the other hand and i would say give me the eyes and you've boiled it down to again that uh, choice between two if he still can't do it then we're going to use the technique that we call errorless teaching or errorless learning and this is where we minimize the chance that a child makes a mistake in responding so with this example if we were using it with a child and uh, we were saying get the eyes show me the eyes we would put our hand with the eyes a little closer to the child than the other option so it makes it more likely that he or she will grab the right thing and again we're helping them leave that meaning in their minds and understand eyes that's that that word that she's saying must go with these two round uh white uh objects that i'm holding right here that i'm going to put on mr potato head and again you help them link that meaning by being super 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 repetitive about it and super purposeful so airless teaching again is a great way to do it <clears throat> for our little guys that need that structure and need for you to be so direct and focused about your teaching right there 
uh, resist the urge to correct their mistakes by saying, no, those aren't the eyes. No, that no, no, you know, just continually telling them no, because that's going to make them not want to continue to play with you. And that can actually drive them away. So using a technique like airless teaching, where you again are making it less and less likely that they're going to choose the re- the incorrect item. Uh, that's a way to really do that and a way to keep a child with you and keep you uh, together there. Now, even though you're doing this and you're working on receptive language, resist the urge to uh, make this look like a test. So as a therapist, you know, you might think about, especially if you work with older children, you might think about just having a toddler with you at the table and you lining up a bunch of objects and just doing that kind of again in a in a testing kind of method where they're all laid out and he takes the right object and then you move on to the next set and move on to the next set. There's no time for play. There's no naturalness in there. It's all testing, not teaching. We want to do teaching, not testing, right? And so be sure that you are um, including these kinds of activities in play routines. It's uh, just boring to do it the other way. And again, it might be so frustrating for some of our friends that they're not going to want to participate with Another favorite way for me to target this goal uh, with children, and this would be from this point forward in development, we're going to think about doing this during therapy time, and that's for them to help us clean up, and we give those specific directions for object identification and following these familiar commands or following these commands to do these uh, things like clean up would be the familiar command there but with these familiar objects to do that in the context of cleaning up and so at kids at this developmental level you might only be able to get them to clean up one or two things let's use our example from potato heads let's say that you've played with that and you're ready to put it away and for therapists I hope that you always have some kind of container to put your toys back in so a basket I use the two and a half gallon Ziploc bags, that's a good thing, a box. At home, parents usually have baskets or something that they use to contain and store all their toys. So a great way to do that is just to say, you know, we're going to clean up now. Oh, listen, I'm going to tell you what to get. Listen, listen, listen. You know, get the shoes, find the shoes, and then you have them find the shoes and clean up that. And for a kid at this level, you may only be able to get them to do three or four things before they tire of that and want to move on to the next activity. So what I I like to do is think, I'm just going to ask them as many things to clean up here and following as many, (coughs) pardon me, directions like that as I can before I start to lose them. Then we'll just do something like sing the cleanup song and move on. But it's a great way to really model to parents how they can also work on receptive language during play routines at home. Uh, This activity works really, really well for puzzles, and so don't ever clean up a puzzle without working on receptive language. And again, sometimes we get so focused on expressive language that we're thinking, just name the puzzle piece, tell me what it is, what is this, rather than Uh, giving that receptive direction. So, you know, if it's a a puzzle with farm animals, find the duck, where's the sheep, clean up the horse, give me the cow. And again, sometimes kids just throwing it in that bag uh, gives them kind of that reward that they like and they're really motivated to do receptive language with you and participate in those activities even a little bit more than they are during the actual play routine uh, because they're motivated to get that cleaned up and move on. And it's also pretty uh, a 
pretty easy activity to understand. So be sure that you're doing it with those cleanup activities. It's a great home therapy activity to think about too, that parents can do that at the end of play routines. And they can do it uh, even in something like cleaning up their messy dens at the end of the day. And even if they have older siblings uh, there with the child that they has the language delay that they're working with, everybody can participate in that. So mom can say, come on, everybody, everybody get shoes. We're all cleaning up the shoes. Everybody get shoes. And so everybody does that. And then mom might say, okay, get the pillows. Let's put all the pillows on the couch. Let's find the pillows. And that's how they can make a game, a fun receptive language game, totally functional out of uh, doing something that they need to do anyway. So I've had lots of parents respond to that really, really well. And again, older siblings, if you sort of pass this off as homework, it's a great task to assign to an older brother or sister who really wants to help baby learn how to talk and learn how to understand uh, words. And so that's a great, great game that I hope that you'll share with families. I've had lots of luck with that and I bet you will too. Let's move on to our next milestone, and this one is understands familiar action words. So this is understands familiar verbs, and this is another one of my very favorite receptive language goals to work on. And again, starting in this developmental period, but throughout the rest of toddlerhood or the rest of time that I'm with the child. And so a toddler with typically developing language skills comprehends simple verbs and action words by 18 to 21 months. So we want to be sure, again, that kids, even if we think that they're just late talkers and we're working on this expressively, we want to be sure that we're still using uh, our opportunities to drive more and more and more receptive language so that we can get better expressive output when they're ready to give us that. So here we're looking at just that first little rung of verbs like eat, drink, sleep, wash, push, go, jump, open, uh, just those really common verbs that they're hearing all the time. Now these words are so much fun to work on when we target them in movement activities because who doesn't like to run? or swing, or jump, right? And so it's a great way to teach toddlers what those word me- words mean when we simply just include those as the focus of our activity with a toddler. All toddlers, whether they have language delays or whether they are talking on time or whether they are ahead with language development, all toddlers learn by doing and there's no other category of words that would lend itself more to the strategy of learn by doing than with verbs and so we have to do these actions to really help them internalize the concepts so my favorite therapy activities for teaching verbs at this time would one just be incorporate that into lots of our play with toys and so anytime we're playing with toys instead of really focusing solely on the nouns for some activities i'm going to try to uh, make some activities again that where we have our target words be receptive meaning that we're not going to talk we're just going to work on understanding the words and making sure that you're demonstrating that you can Uh, follow through and understand what those words mean, but we do those with toys, with verbs rather than the nouns. And so when we're playing with the farm set, instead of the targets being uh, cow and dog and pig or horse, understanding what those objects are, which again, another important 
part of this developmental phase, but also then shifting that and thinking about what those familiar action words be. So our target words for that uh, play routine aren't going to be the nouns, but they're going to be the verbs. So we're going to think that about what all those little animals can do. So they all can walk. They all can eat. They all can sleep. They all can run. They all can hide. They, all, you know, and again, I might be getting into verbs that are a little bit higher level there, but just the really simplistic ones. Jump. Uh, kiss, that would be a good one. Uh, fall, anything again that we're going to look at in that first little level of verbs. So we're going to do that with toys. The next thing we're going to do is, uh, like we talked about a minute ago, with the circle time routines. Uh, can we all hop? Can we all fall down? Show me how to run. Let's all run. Can we all sleep? Can we all scream? You know, again, having those little imitation games and making the point of that be what those familiar verbs are, are a fantastic uh, activity for our little friends who are working on verbs and understanding that first little uh, level of verbs. Another song that I like to teach here is the marching, marching song. And again, this would be ideal for groups of children like siblings or in a daycare preschool and certainly I've just played it with individual children and families uh, and it's more fun when you can get more than just you and the kid participating so that's that's my rationale for kind of giving you where all of uh, all of these settings or all of these groups that it works better in but let me just kind of sing this song for you and we're gonna have a child do the motions or the activities while you are singing it together and so it's a gross motor game so you're up and it's marching 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 hop 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 running 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 now we stop and have them stop and again such a fun little song i use it here when we're starting to work on verbs some of those verbs are a little harder March is probably not going to be uh, an early verb here in this 18 to 24 month period, but you can use this song for a long time. And I certainly, once children begin to work on verb tenses and when their expressive language again is beyond the point that it is in, at this developmental level, but for them to be able to include that marker there with the ing verb, great, great song to teach there. But I like it here in this developmental period too. Um, we talked about how we can incorporate this milestone with play. So making sure that uh, parents understand that too. Not only are we working on those familiar nouns that we just talked about back in the previous couple of milestones, we want to be sure that we're hitting those early verbs as well. Now, lots of parents and therapists kind of fall into the trap of thinking anytime I want to expand a child's vocabulary, I need to get a tool like an app or a, uh, an electronic game or flashcards. I try to stay away from those. Uh, particularly in this developmental period because we want children connecting the meaning even more than we want them saying the word at this point. And so when we have all of our activities directed to something that's totally visual, some of our little friends don't make that connection to everyday routines in real life. So that's why I really still emphasize teaching by doing for toddlers. And so while books and cards and those kinds of things, you may be able to justify that. And certainly books with pictures, we don't want all of a child's learning opportunities to be strictly visual. But 
<laughs> That's important too, which leads us to our next developmental milestone, which is identifies familiar pictures. And here we are really going to be looking at using that visual information. But I don't want you to get so hung up on making sure that we're always let me say it a different way. I don't want you to get so caught up on teaching with pictures and again using all the technology and all of the zany brainy uh, apps or those kinds of older developmental learning activities that aren't going to be at that just right spot for helping a child understand what that word means and again children need those real life experiences in that concrete thinking way before we can make it more abstract with pictures however let's move on to the next milestone which is identifying familiar pictures and so by 15 months a child with typically developing skills can maintain attention to pictures like we talked about uh, back in show 452 but now here in the middle of this period by 21 months is when children do start to identify familiar pictures by pointing when asked where's the and then they can identify that so here a child is looking at pictures and we're just beginning to do some picture identification so this is why therapist when you get a child who when you're trying to test them initially uh, with a standardized test and they can't participate with you in that testing and they can't identify any pictures you ought to automatically think boy I know then his skills are going to be down there below uh, 21 months below 18 months on this if I can't even really get him to identify or attend to the pictures and again would you have known that already absolutely because he's not talking but this is just one more piece of evidence for you as a therapist when you're trying to make these clinical decisions and think where is this kid really developmentally say you get just a wild three-year-old you know a kid who is just just a sensory seeker and all over the place and you can't get him to sit down to look at these pictures and the the book just seems non-meaningful to him the first thing you should think is developmentally he is way down here uh, below 18 months here because I can't get that uh, going with pictures so again just something that you probably know but that some of you probably don't realize you know and I want to help you fill in those gaps uh, so that you're really able to talk about these things and think about these things too all right our problem here with identifying pictures is what Lots of our little guys with language delays hate books. And again, we talked about this last time. Why? Because books are really an auditory experience for a lot of kids. Now, we do have some kids who are just hypervisual, and they get their little visual buzz by uh, really hurriedly flipping those pages in the book. We're not talking about those kids because they do like books for books for that about the books, the visual piece. But a lot of times our little friends who don't like books are the kids who don't have strong visual skills and then they have really weaker auditory skills and so that's why again books might not be uh, meaningful for them yet or enjoyable for them and so once we get that language rolling along a little bit better it's easier for them to tolerate it a lot of our little guys don't like books why because of their sensory needs they just have that constant need to move and so we haven't gotten them regulated enough to sit and look at books with us and sit and listen while stories are read and so those are factors that we have to consider and we have to make sure that we're addressing those as well and so when kids don't like books in therapy I don't use a lot of books with them until we get to the point that again their attention has moved along a little bit better 
and we do have their bodies more regulated so that they can sit and enjoy that activity. And when I have a kid that uh, is just really caught up in the visual stem part of a book and he really even won't let me hold it, again, I don't do a lot of books with therapy because with those kinds of kids until we get them over that hump because it's just unproductive. And anytime you're having power struggles with a kid, that's just going to take precedence over uh, whatever your learning objective is. And so you don't want to use all your therapy time. I'm going to teach this kid to like books when you really haven't done anything to support that. And so until you're getting his regulation piece under control, until you're helping him again, that, that auditory comprehension piece, he's listening better. You know, you've pulled him in with some social games and we're kind of getting beyond the context of what this show is about. But at the same time, when you have a kid that doesn't like books, don't really force him to do it just for for the sake of you should like books, you should be learning from books, this is a developmentally appropriate activity, you've got to get them there. And so lots of times we have to start with making books more fun. And we talked about this back in the last show about receptive language, which again is 452, looking at the 12 to 18 month skills. And so we do some of those same things. We really ratchet it up a notch uh, as far as our own uh, affect is concerned. And so we are really interactive with the book so that we make the book more than the picture there and so that we're getting a child involved with the books and so instead of just say you know reading uh, uh, whatever I don't know whatever the the boy's name in the book you know Bobby has come to play look he's at Jess's door whatever the you know make up your story instead of, you know you see a house with a door you need to say instead of reading that you need to say oh look he's here he's here let's knock on the door knock 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 and so you're doing something with that and so if there's a picture of a kitty cat there you're gonna meow you're gonna lick <laughs> you're gonna do all kinds of things again to help bring that child's attention to that story and and include you as uh, making that story relevant and making those pictures meaningful for that child. If there's a car there, you're going to make your car noise. You're going to say beep, 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 beep. And again, you're going to uh, help a child uh, want to maintain a attention to that picture and to you as you're doing that activity together. If he's not including you, you can do some things like holding the book closer to your face. Uh, you can do things again like making that uh, proximity better. You might have to scooch down really close to him on the floor kind of face to face so that he's including you uh, with that activity as well. And so encourage a child when you're doing that not only to watch the silliness that you are uh, doing when you're reading the book and, and pulling him into that story, but that he also begins to do that too. And he begins to imitate actions with the book. And again, this is in preparation for following directions and picture identification with pointing. So things like patting the baby, kissing the mama, uh, tickling the dog that's there, pretending to uh, eat the food, you know, so if there's a cookie on the page, you're saying, oh, I think that cookie's so good. Let's take a bite. Yum, 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 yum. And so again, doing everything you can to pull that child into uh, what you're doing with that book and then make that activity meaningful. So you're going to want to be creative. You're going to want to be funny. And again, encouraging him to imitate your actions. Once a child is doing those things, then you're ready to move on to picture identification. And lots of, and by that I mean that they point when you say, uh, find the card, that they put their little finger right there uh, so that they are following through with that. 
until you have a child really engaged with you with books like that and imitating some uh, actions, he's probably not going to be developmentally ready to point to pictures when you know that it's been a problem in the past. When he hasn't liked books, when he hasn't had good attention for books, you're going to have to start with some of those other activities first. And then you move into things like we're talking about here at this developmental level. My best tip for you when you're teaching a child to point to pictures, if pointing is the problem, is to just tap repetitively on the book there. That gets a kid's attention, and then they start to want to do that with their fingernails, too, and make that noise, too. And that's how I've just taught tons of kids who were not great at pointing or non-specific pointers or had no interest in doing that at all. That's one of the little tricks that uh, I've used that's been really, really successful. Always help him. Take his little finger if he'll allow it to help you point to the pictures. But again, you've got to have some evidence that a child is understanding that those words first. If he's not following some directions in everyday routines, if he's not identifying some body parts on you or him, his own little face or your face, and uh, if he's not doing that, there's no way developmentally he's ready to point to pictures yet. And so you just know that all these skills are kind of coming in together. But when you can't get a kid to do the the thing that you're working on at one age range, always back up and look at what what about that came first because this child might be missing whatever skill was just right before this or maybe even two little age range ranges back uh, to help them move forward uh, to that. So what do you do when a kid still can't do this even though you've uh, walked him through, hey, I've been interactive with the pictures and I'm trying to get him to point, but he still doesn't really seem to be understanding that. And even if he does, he's not really, uh, uh, really uh, understanding these pictures and, and linking meaning with that. Then you always, again, want to go back and make it a little bit more concrete. So what I like to do is uh, get a book that has a lot of photographs and find toys or objects that look really similar to the pictures and do a matching activity. So that let's say, and I did this back in show, it's about uh, making books better. So it's show 418 or 419. I'll try to link the correct show, but it's one of those two shows and showed you how to do that with the book and with uh, the, the toys that I use for that. But just get yourself a book and let's say that it has a banana on one page. So you get yourself a plastic banana and you open the book to that page and your uh, child's activity for that page is, you know, you're saying, here's the banana, find the banana. And so he's matching that object with the picture there. So that's a great way to work on that. Go back and watch that show if you need some more help with uh, putting that together. If you're a parent, you can use that kind of activity for a while with your child. If you're a therapist, you'll use it forever. <laughs> so go ahead and get yourself some little sets of books like that with objects uh, because it's a great way to work on that with children who are having lots of trouble with picture identification. Now, over time, you're going to fade that real object. And talk to parents about that, too. Don't let them go on for months and months of matching without really bumping that up to where the child is, then finding the picture just from the uh, auditory direction alone, or you know, he doesn't have to see the object anymore. But it's a great activity for parents to do, and it's a wonderful activity for you to do as a therapist, and then uh, model that activity, and then help them 
make their own sets with that. Remember here too that we're not talking about talking. So with these kinds of activities, no expectation for talking at all, just receptive language ID. Uh, and so I want to make sure that I was sharing my best tips with you again and walking you through that whole progression of how to get a child to the point that they can uh, accurately point to pictures because uh, that's the hard part for some of us is figuring out what comes before that. How do I teach this if I, if I have a child who can't do that yet? That's how you do it. All right, now we're ready to talk about following novel commands. And we talked about this a lot back in the introduction, but this is just where a child understands enough words so that now everything doesn't have to be so overtaught. And so they are able now to do things by the time that they're 24 months that um, they couldn't do before without some cues. Or they're able to do things that, again, are completely new. So you might be able to say to a child something like, Ooh, put the ball on your head. And she would be able to take a ball and put it on her head. Likely not something that her parents have instructed her to do before, right? She's solely understanding what that command means. And so what do we do when we see a child who's not able to perform that? Sometimes, what do they do? Sometimes then they, again, you see them try to do different things with the ball. They, you may look like you're just kind of losing them too. I want you to be cognizant here that it's not always about behavior. Sometimes it really is just they did not understand what you said. So you're going to have to double down on receptive language to make sure that you're teaching uh, and, and giving a child those opportunities to follow newer directions. So to work on this goal, we just challenge a child by issuing those unexpected directions during the context of play more often. I use that uh, example about ball on your head you know it might be uh, uh, put the car in your pocket or uh, even something like you know if you're playing with a choo-choo set and you have a choo-choo train there and you know the child thinks that you're going to ask them to do something with the set you know it might be uh, again just give the train to mommy something just that simple that unexpected but that they're able to really think oh this is out of context for this but I can still hang with you here and do whatever it is that you uh, asked me to do at this level again kids don't need the visual cues that they needed before to be able to follow directions and understand them but here we know that when a child struggles we still need to provide those cues to be sure that we are giving her that opportunity to bump up to that next uh, level of comprehension many parents incorrectly believe at this stage uh, that because a child follows familiar and well-rehearsed directions during their everyday routines at home which are all probably pretty the kind of the same set of commands that they understand everything and sometimes they'll say I don't understand why she's having so much trouble following these directions because at home she does everything just fine well it's because you've asked her the same 20 things to do you know for the last six months <laughs> and so she's anticipated that so we've got to help parents mix it up a little bit so it might be again giving the new commands, the new unexpected directions that we talked about, uh, you know, uh, tickle the kitty cat, again, something, you know, that we kind of talked about with that example back in the book, but something that they would have never done before. So help parents know to switch it up a little bit. So they might even need to rotate some toys to bring some different materials out for that child to play with. When we have new things to talk about, a child is naturally going to learn new words. And again, that increases the likelihood that they're going to hear some new things just because the novelty is built in when we play with new toys. All right, let's move on to the next 
uh, skill. This is really, really important. And this is one that we as therapists work on all the time. And we need to be sure that we are teaching parents a really sequential way to work on it. And this is following two-step related commands. So toddlers with typically developing skills are able to understand and follow two-step directions by this 24-month um, age and this means that a child can complete two familiar actions with the same object so it might be get your dirty diaper and throw it away uh, put your cup in the sink uh, uh, here's your shoe give me your foot again those things that would naturally come next so when a child can't do this we have to look and see what the problems are lots of times it really is working memory and so i know that you might be thinking working memory with the two-year-old yeah <laughs> they can't hold two pieces of information there long enough to be able to know what to do with them so we have to really help a child learn to listen for and remember those two different parts and the truth is lots of times when we give a two-step related direction there are probably four or five uh, parts in that you know get your dirty diaper you know that's like to and you know throw it in the trash and that's really going to be four important pieces of information so we have to help a child build up to that so how I like to work on this is just having a child give me two different items during play and so and this is one uh, kind of an in-between step so if we have a kid again that's following a lot of one-step directions but he just can't get over that hump for two-step directions this is a great way to work on that and so take the same activities that we've done let's let's talk about let's say that we're let's use our previous example of potato heads and so if we were playing potato heads with a little girl we might say you know give me the eyes and the nose and again she has to hold eyes nose eyes nose so she can look down and give you the eyes and then give you the nose and because you've given her your little visual cue there you're letting her know there are two parts in this i need two things especially after you've played this for a while kids get really really good at that and again you're giving them enough structure so that they're going to be able to do it and then you can often uh, uh work on that it's just a natural extension it's just that natural extension of what would come next and it's what kids are missing they've got to be able to hold that extra piece of information you can do this during cleanup time like we've already talked about so if there's a puzzle there that you're cleaning up and it's a food puzzle you know you may say you know give me the cookie and the apple and you're just going to do that throughout the throughout your cleanup time and again you might have worked on uh expressive language or imitation or something else during the first part of whatever that play routine was but always kind of bring it back to receptive language for that cleanup time and i love that if you're an ei therapist i hope that's going to make a lot of sense to you because that's how i've tried to think about and work in receptive language uh, for kids again even when that expressive language uh, goal is looming over all of us all right talk to parents and directly say that a child is not going to drastically improve his ability to follow two-step related commands without a ton of practice and again for so many of our little guys that are just so busy and so sensory driven just getting them to slow down and do more than one thing is going to be a big deal and so talk with parents about that and and really write list of things that they can do uh, bring me your shoes and sit down on the floor go get your jacket and wait by the door uh, and, and this might be something that but wise a typically developing toddler may not be able to do in that 18 to 24 month range but you know 24 months yeah they likely would but I'm talking about our kids that are older two and a half three that these kinds of things that 
over three, they're hearing these kinds of directions at preschool all the time. And this is why so many of our little guys are lost in those preschool classrooms because they cannot listen to and follow those multiple step directions. Or And so they certainly can't, if they can't get two step related directions, they're never going to get there. So this is how we work on that uh, with them at home. All right, our next milestone here is understands new words rapidly. And so again, this is just kind of the culmination of all that we've talked about in this developmental period where kids are learning to understand familiar action words and we've had them following new commands and we've had them even doing more complex directions by following that two-step related direction this is where you know again it's all related here they're understanding new words rapidly and again meaning that we don't have to do uh, the direct teaching that we had to do maybe initially this is a real diagnostic uh, implication for me as well when i have a kid who is at this level uh, and I think, and again, we're looking at kids. We want to, you know, have them here at this 24-month level. When, when I'm wondering sort of uh, when a child's language explosion is going to occur, when we're finally going to get that expressive language explosion. And again, we've already talked about uh, that that usually happens at the end of this range. And you can't have that expressive language explosion until you've gotten that receptive language explosion. And a lot of times, uh, you know, this, this is what an accept, a receptive language explosion would be, is that they understand a lot of new words. You don't have to do a lot of direct teaching to get that to happen. And so when we don't see that, this is when I start to think we are looking at a disorder rather than a delay. Because if this were a language delay with the child, meaning that everything is coming in on time, it's just slower, sometimes a lot slower than we would expect, that's one thing. And delays we know are uh, more likely to resolve versus what? A disorder when language is atypical, meaning it's not just about the time. Things aren't there that should be there but it's taking, um, uh, again, their, their level, their uh, pattern of development has taken a turn. Again, not, it's not just about the time. Now there are things there that we, that are present that we don't expect to see. Or again, those skills are missing for just a super long time. And there are probably maybe even some splinter skills at higher levels. But you're back here still waiting on that receptive language uh, explosion to happen and it doesn't. And again, my whole point for this last two minutes has been to say, when we don't see a child begin to acquire new words rapidly here, and, and I'm not talking about saying them, I'm talking about understanding them, that's when we start to really suspect there's something more going on with this child. And so that's when we have to look a little deeper. And so that was my point about um, that whole little section of skills. Now we're ready to talk about our last skill here in this course, and it's the related cognitive skill. Now remember what we said about this in the introduction. The best way for us to judge a child's cognitive skill development is through play. And so we want to make sure that his play skills are keeping up with his receptive language development here. And so the biggest play skill in this developmental range is imitating housework activities. Why is this so important? Well, let me uh, connect this here 
for you for language development. Research tells us that the way that a child imitates activities at 18 months is the very best prediction of his language development at 36 months. So what does that mean? When we have kids who are good imitators at 18 months, they're probably going to be really good talkers at 36 months. And so that's how that's connected. And here, imitating housework activities, you know, we've, is really, really, uh, predominant in a child's play and I think that that really prepares the child to be able to even do more pretending and that's what's going to come next in that next little 24 to 30 month period when they really start to pretend and remember what we said about this when we were just talking about moving from uh, functional object use that we said that we had to have a child do things or let's say it this way. When we were talking about teaching a child how to imitate, we said that we had to have a child learn to do things non-verbally before he could imitate verbally. Well, the same thing happens here with play. We have to have a child be able to use objects functionally for their intended purpose before he can be able to be uh, be able to generate new ideas with those things and make it more abstract where it's more pretending. So I hope that that example makes sense to you. It certainly does to me. So imitating housework activities here is on the developmental test at 18 months. So does a child grab a cloth and try to wash the table or wash the high chair after they finished a meal? Do they try to um, have a child-sized prop like a child-sized vacuum or a broom? Do they understand what to do with those? Most of the time, children don't even need the child-sized prop, right? They're, they're taking the real object and trying to do those things at home. I've shared for years now how our own daughter, who's now 26 with a baby of her own, and she's a speech pathologist too, one of her favorite activities to do uh, by the time she was 24 months was vacuum and she would just fight me <laughs> to beat me to the vacuum cleaner if she thought that I was going to vacuum. And so that's, again, the kind of play that really dominates uh, this developmental period. And so we want to facilitate that in our little friends, especially those who have had receptive language delays. And so we want to get this going with toys, if they're not already imitating actions and toys or actions with toys, I doubt that you're going to be thinking about this kind of play because again, we talked about this back in the by 12 months section and certainly by 18 months. And so if you haven't thought about a lot of child's play uh, about a lot about the child's play skills until now. Now it's time to start to think about it <laughs> because this again is what is going to drive that receptive language and cognitive development piece to form that foundation for better expressive language development. So get that imitation going in play. Uh, the best toys for that, like I said, are those child size props. But again, even just functional things like mom giving the child the washcloth during bath time and, you know, not only washing himself, but, you know, imitating her or how she washes down the bathtub or shower, you know, when they're finished with the bath. So any little routine like that, anything that if, if a child is fascinated with watching his dad do something, help moms and dads figure out a way that he can have kind of his own child-sized version of that and begin to imitate that. It's so, so critical for their development, and we want to really facilitate that uh, in any way we can. All right, so we're at the end of this show. We reviewed all the skills, receptive language, about 24 months. If you want to to get credit for this uh, continuing education course, you can find the link 
right here in the post on YouTube. If you are listening to the podcast, this is show 454 at my website to teach me to talk. So don't leave your hours on the table. I know there are lots of you who watch or listen and you don't even go get your your hours uh, for this course. You kind of save them up till the end of the year. Don't do that. Go ahead and get your credit as you go and certainly don't leave your uh, hour here on the table. You want to be sure that you're taking advantage of uh, of that offer to get that credit. All right, my best resource for teaching all of these skills is from my therapy manual, Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual. It's a comprehensive guide for teaching receptive and expressive language from right at 12 months all the way up to 48 months. And the link for uh, that is here in the post below as well. You'll find all the activities that we talked about and the directions that I've included here on your handout. You'll find that plus more in that book. So if you don't have that, I highly, highly recommend it. If you're a parent working with your child at home on uh, late talking or your child is in speech therapy but you want to do more at home, this book will give you a step-by-step guide with lots of activities and lots of little goals to always keep you moving forward. All right, the next show in this series is 455 and we're going to take a look at the expressive language milestones by 24 months. And this is the show where we really start to see that a child has begun to talk. And so that's when the language language explosion has happened for real. And again, it's such a big developmental marker. So I hope that you will join me uh, for that show as well. All right, that's all for today. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist. And thank you so much for joining me for Teach Me to Talk's podcast. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.